there's kind of four points I said kind of for life, right? One is be positive. That'll dictate your success and your happiness in life more than anything. The second one is find something you love to do and keep learning throughout life. The third one is save 10% of everything you make and invest it. Because oftentimes when we're younger, the stress of not having money or we start a family or whatever gets to you. And it's a simple math formula. You know, if we save 10% of everything we make and invest it, everybody's a millionaire. It's a simple math formula. That'll happen in 20 years at today's salary or quicker. And so when you take away the financial stress, which is one of the most stressful things for young people, and you just put that money away, invest it. If you don't want to do it, have somebody do it for you. That takes away one of life's challenges. And then the fourth thing I would say, keep your friends and family close because success or failures, you want to be able to share them with somebody. Mm-hmm. And don't be an island. You know, it's so funny. I know I've told you both, but when we're born, it's 100% about us, right? Because we can't do a darn thing. As we move through high school and college, we better start to be thinking about others. By the time you get to be my age, it better be about others and you know, not that much about you. Once again, there's an incredible joy of helping others be successful and happy in life. You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Barrel, a podcast where we interview leaders in the energy space to uncover and find out more about their careers and life journeys. Today, we have Gary Colstead. Gary is a chairman and CEO of AccuScribe, a drilling technology company. He studied petroleum engineering at Montana Tech, which led him into the energy space. Prior to that, he was a CEO of Carbo Ceramics, a publicly traded company for 14 years. And if that's not big enough, prior to that, he was at SLB for 21 years and he lived all over the world. Wow, Gary, from big company worldwide moving around to publicly traded company and now a small startup. You've done it all. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Yeah, I've certainly got to live the American dream. It's definitely not dead. Thank you, too, for inviting me. I think it's pretty cool what you guys are doing, and it's pretty incredible how fast your audience has grown. And I think it's interesting to me because the two of you kind of start on this journey to learn for yourselves, and now you're helping others. Pretty amazing what you do, and I, I wish you a lot of success. I know offline we challenge you, or I challenge you about what's next, what's next, right? But you guys are getting it done. It's really cool. Well, thank you so much, Gary. You are a huge mentor to us. And really, quite honestly, your career is very incredible. But what's really even more inspiring is your upbringing. Gary, you grew up on a farm in Montana with very humble upbringing with your family. You know, life wasn't really that easy for you. You had a very difficult upbringing. You had a lot of challenges, a lot of difficult moments. And there's a lot of times in life where people feel like they get defined by where they grow up or who their parents are or, oh, well, me, this happened. But you did not allow that to be your mindset. Can you share with us what that life was like in the beginning and how you turned it all around? Yeah, you know, there's enormous benefits for growing up on a farm and ranch in rural America. You learn a great work ethic. You learn a lot of mechanical sense. You learn some pretty good family values, I would say. You don't have some of the issues that are in suburbia or big cities. So that was a real benefit. Our challenge as a family was my dad, unfortunately, when consuming alcohol, got violent and things like that. So we had to overcome that. 
And I think for me, even though it seems a little weird, but the bigger challenges I had at that time helped define me into overcoming them mm-hmm. and kind of set the tone for my whole life moving forward. And yeah, there's just a lot of benefit to that, I think. Just overcome things. And when you do overcome it, you're just the bring on the next one. I always tell people, run to challenges, right? If you want to be a leader, you better start running towards challenges, not away from them. So yeah, I learned a lot of good things and overcame the one bad thing. Today's episode is brought to you by Veril Energy Solutions. Did you know that Veril has been around since 1947? They're originally known for their drill bits, but through several acquisitions, investments, and rebranding, they now offer a diversified portfolio in drilling and completions. One of their core competencies is actually global manufacturing of consumable downhole products. They solve the industry supply chain problems. We've chosen to partner with Veril because they simply get it. They focus on their employees, they're committed to diversity and inclusion, and they know their only true sustainable advantage is their people. To learn more and stay up to date, please go to www.veril.com. Veril Energy Solutions, beyond technology, beyond normal. Thank you for sharing, Gary. And I think what's incredible is that it didn't matter where you came from or what you know life dealt you, what cards you had. You became extremely successful, even to becoming CEO of a company for 14 years, which is incredible on its own. So it really shows that it's all about mindset and what you do with the opportunities that are given to you versus dwelling on, oh, this happened to me, poor me, right? Yeah. One thing that was really incredible when we spoke to you was that in elementary, at the age of 12, you decided that day, and you still remember vividly, that you wouldn't let anyone ever change your positive attitude, no matter what they threw at you. How has that moment impacted you the rest of your life? And how has a positive mindset been key to your success? You know, kind of weird. I think back on it now, and a lot of people have asked me that question. It brought clarity to me. You know, once you make that decision that you're not going to feel sorry for yourself and you take that step over the river, right? You never go back. So it's just incredible. It gave me confidence, surprisingly, because if you're in a chaotic world and you're not sure about things, you don't have a lot of confidence. But once I made that statement in my mind, this is what's going to happen, boy, it brought clarity. And I think one of the greatest things for yourselves and all the listeners is to have confidence, find your way to build confidence in life. That's going to help dictate how your journey through life goes. So it stayed with me. I'm very fortunate. I've had psychologists ask me that question. Who knows if that didn't come up with that? I can't answer that, but I do know the effect of it. Well, you know, that effect really even worked out for you in college too, because you didn't start off on the right foot. You actually were demotivated to really pursue the career that you were thinking about in psychology. And even though you were excellent at work, at school, and it really came easy to you, but after a few semesters, you decided to drop out and just actually go to work. But your mother, whom you mentioned to us as your hero in life, came to you and gave you a piece of advice that would change your life for the better. She told you that you had way too much to give the world with your intellect and talent to throw away, and you needed to finish your education. And that's when she handed you a flyer for Montana Tech. And really, the rest is quite history. Can you bring us back to that moment? And what were your plans during that time? And how did it change your life? First of all, moms are the best, right? They're incredible. <laughs> they take care of us. They guide us. And my mom is my hero. She's going to turn 90 pretty soon. And you know she goes through physical challenges at age, as we all will. But she doesn't feel sorry for herself. 
She still worries about me, all that stuff. Anyway, I love moms and I love my mom the most. Yeah, at that time, I went to school at Montana State. I was taking psychology. I thought that's what I'd like to be. It got too abstract by the time I got up to the third year. And I thought, well, that's not really for me. I sat out. I was a big partier at Montana State. School was too easy, so I could do all that. And I sat out for a year just trying to figure out what the hell to do in life, right? And I ran heavy equipment because I was always generating my own money. We never had money per se. And so to go to school, I had to work or borrow money from the federal loans. My mom did the best she could and everything, but you had to make it on your own. You know, that one day I remember I was in the house there and she told me that in that normal mother way that's pretty stern. And then she gave me a pamphlet and I'm thinking, okay, so, you know, I'll go be an engineer. I wonder which one I want to do. And I looked through there, the whole list, and it's like, oh, petroleum engineering, that would be an outside job. Yeah, I'll do that. It was that simple, right? But then I was driving towards Montana Tech, Butte, Montana. It's about 400 miles away from where I live. And I thought to myself, you know, with all this chaos we got going at home, Maybe I'll just keep on driving, go find a job someplace, kind of isolate myself for a few years. And thank God I didn't, right? So I went up there. They made me a freshman again. So I spent four years there, got a degree. And even though engineering in school was easy for me, I think what I did learn is how to learn. And I also learned how to work with others to solve problems. But my life as a child and all through my life has been solving problems. You know, it's a good skill to have. And especially if you don't dwell on your problems, you know, one of the worst things you can do is feel entitled or feel sorry for yourself. Those things get in the way of advancing your life and your happiness, in my opinion. So anyway, it worked out good. And then I went to work for somebody. Wow. So thank your mom for where you are today and all of the successes, because you could probably still be working outside today (laughs) in a farm somewhere. So yeah, like you mentioned, you went straight to SLB, Schlumberger, right after you graduated, and you wanted to become a field engineer, which fit in, right? Everything that you were saying, solving problems, being outdoors, using your mind to solve all these problems. So you went over and you had a very successful career there. And then you started working a lot. You were a workaholic, like we call it, and you were very focused and driven in your career. And one day a manager sat you down and they said, Gary, we're a little worried about you. You haven't taken a day off. You've been working 24-7 and they were worried that maybe you would burn out. What would you say has been your driver in life and how did you avoid burnout? Not only then, but after 14 years of being a CEO, I can just imagine the pressure to, to perform for 14 years. Yeah, for me, it's kind of a clear path, work hard, get enough time by yourself in psychological terms, you call it block time or private time, and think about what you're doing. Too many people get caught up in the day-to-day and they don't back up or have a cup of coffee with themselves and say, what the hell am I doing, right? That one was interesting. And I remember this guy was like four or five levels up, big VP. I was in Denver. I get called in and you know, he says, you're doing fantastic, but we're worried about you burning out. And I kind of laughed. <laughs> you know, what did I care? I've never been intimidated by my bosses, right? No matter what level it's been, right? Because I always had the ability to take their job. I didn't have the experience to do it. So that's kind of set my life forward too. So I'm sitting across the desk from him and theoretically I'd be, you know, nervous, but I wasn't. I just said, hey, I said, you know, on the farm, we work seven days a week and I never get paid. You silly guys are paying me every month. So don't worry about me burning out. You know, this is going to be just fine. I always knew kind of was fortunate too to set goals. So in the field engineer handbook, it said you need to do X, X, Y, and Z, right, to get to the next level. So it's like, okay, why don't I do that in half the time than the others? And so it was a fun career. 
I found after a few years, it's like, okay, what you have to keep doing, Gary, is keep moving the goalposts farther down the field or think farther down because you're going to get there. Mm-hmm. And it was just a matter of time. One of the unique things, too, I think for young people when they join organizations, and especially, you know, Massiel, you work for Schlumberger, sometimes people get caught up when you're young of thinking you need to be one of the boys to use a language, right? Mm-hmm. Versus, I always knew I would be the boss of all those people someday. And so you conduct yourself differently. You still get out there, you work like crazy, right? With everybody, but you know someday you're going to be leading those people. It's really nice to have that foresight, right? I tend to look two, three years down the road, whatever I'm doing, and trying to visualize the outcome. You know, Gary, on that topic, how important is goal setting to you? And what process do you use to do that? You know, one of the things I think I do a good job is watch successful people. And I encourage people to do that. So I would watch when I was at Slum Shape, people that were two, three, four levels above me. I'd find the ones that I admired. I'd kind of watch how they got it done. And then it's just, okay, roll up your sleeves there and get busy, Gary, and get to that point. So that was good in terms of what are the goals you want to get to. Besides my mom was my hero, you know, Warren Buffett's my hero in the investing world, but also just how do you conduct yourself as a human and IQ, EQ and all that stuff. And guys like Kobe, Magic and Bird, right? Their will to win was just unstoppable. So find people out there, and it can be in your daily lives or whatever. Watch what they're doing. You can figure out the details of goals after that, right? But watch what they're doing and how their persistence just keeps going, how they conduct themselves. You know, if you want to ever get ahead in life, go find the smartest people around you that are successful and watch what they do. So for me, it was, it's always been relatively straightforward. I love that advice. What's really interesting is you sound very positive and you had this big positive outlook and you got your first international move. And again, things really didn't work out in like the easiest way for you. You went to Russia and it was actually one of the hardest locations that you had ever experienced. And you went there to run a business as a foreigner, which is a huge leap. Can you tell us about that experience and what challenges came with that role? But more importantly, in those times of hardships, really how it can be a blessing? Yeah, it was crazy town. <laughs> uh, you know, I was running what some would call the pressure pumping business for Russia, Turkmenistan. And at that time, it's about a year after the Soviet Union fell, so it was chaos and everything. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a car. You know, I worked for the world's largest oil field service company. I had to hitchhike to work and here I'm running the business. It was difficult. And I remember we had a revolution when I was there and I lived in an apartment close to the Kremlin. And I'd been given forewarning on a Friday that the tanks were going to roll in. Sure enough, they did. You know, they're shooting outside the apartment, stuff like that. But I felt this incredible, overwhelming need being the chief. I had to get to the office, which once again, I don't have a car. I was a couple miles away to get there to warn people, don't come in from Siberia. Don't come in from Europe. We have a revolution going on here. That sense of responsibility, I think, goes back to childhood too, right? I was very concerned about all the people that were under me. And in hindsight, it was a really stupid thing to do, right? You took personal risk and you're out walking in the middle of January, walking as fast as you can, hoping nobody's going to come after you. But Russia taught me how far I could push myself mentally and physically. And it was one of those things where you were never going to get ahead and you couldn't make any money. I mean, we just had to be there. It was transitioning time for Slumberjay. And 
I got to see throughout all my career in Slumberger, I got to see the different cultures of the world, both first world, second world, third world. And with my curiosity about human behavior, you know, psychology and stuff, I always found that fascinating. I found I always learn from things. And today, it's no surprise to me what Putin's doing and what Russia's doing, right? It's never a surprise to me about Americans not understanding the Middle East. It's, you know, places I've lived. So I recommend to young people, too, if you get a chance to work abroad, first of all, as a person, if you're an American, you're going to understand how spoiled we are in America. Secondly, you're going to learn a lot about yourself and how well do I conduct myself in foreign cultures, foreign lands, when I don't have all the luxuries of the U.S. and the high living standard. Mm. Thank you for sharing, Gary. It's very, very true. If you can take an international role, it's definitely an eye-opener for anyone. Mm. And like you said, you just get stronger out of it and keep building on your own resilience and learning about the world. What I really like for you to talk about this because I think it will happen to everybody at some point <laughs> is you, after leaving this role running Russia business, this huge geo market with so much success towards the end of it. And they gave you your next assignment. It was kind of like a step down, right? What you would consider like not a demotion, but definitely not a promotion, right? That you see it like that because it's a smaller geo unit. It's a small location. Why would they do such a thing? I just did such great work, right? We all have that at some point where we're expecting this huge job. And then we end up getting maybe something that, you know, is lower, Tell us about that experience and maybe at the beginning how you felt, but what did you learn at the end of it? Yeah, it was the only time I came close to quitting Slumberjade, and it was really a decision, right? And it's like, I'm going to Indonesia to run something that's small. I've only done this like a lot of times. What I didn't know is that then I got to work in some people would call it a third world, right? But I lived on a camp in the middle of the jungle in Sumatra. You know, that had its own challenges on logistics, the workforce, some of it had been through education, some including college, but a lot had never literally been through an educational process. So you learn how to manage that. And the fact that, once again, watch humans and how they behave in the development of the mind and everything was really interesting for me. But you had to make it work. You still have to figure out how to make the puzzle work, right? And so it was a lot of fun. It was good for me. We did the first frack job in Indonesia ever. It's kind of like when I was in the Middle East, we did the first frack job in Saudi. You know, all these things are achievements in the industry that I got to be a part of. Not just a small part of it, but, you know, it's fun with that. And also, that probably goes back to my earlier comment about, you know, don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't feel entitled. Instead, run towards that challenge, even though you don't think it's a challenge at the time. But I learned a hell of a lot. And I don't regret that at all. It was only a couple of years of my life. Made some incredible friends, as you might imagine, being on a camp, isolated. It was a good time. but. Be careful about quitting your job until you think through. And, you know, two years in a life is like nothing, <laughs> even though it may seem like it. And we've certainly, the three of us have had some conversations about that already, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it was interesting. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technip FMC. Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward, and they back that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group, and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. 
Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition, emerging materials, and digital industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like iProduction, iComplete, eMission, and iEPCI, go to technipfmc.com. And now, back to the show. Yeah, I really value that feedback because I think we all get un- like impatient and we make rash decisions when you're right. Like the assignment could have been just six months or nine months or just two years, and you would never known if you didn't continue along and take it. You know, you have traveled all over the world. You worked in all different geo markets. You were CEO for 14 years. You're currently on boards. I mean, you've done it all. During this time, through the years, I'm sure you came across very successful women, leaders, you know, women who were inspired to be leaders. What did you find was holding them back from taking that next step? And you mentor a lot of people, including Marcel and I. So we know you have great advice around this. I think it's kind of two things. One, let's talk about the company side of it first, or whatever the company had to be working for. I think a lot of them don't do the best job of mentoring. And I think they also don't understand that the communication style with males and females is different. And that's okay. We don't want to be the same. That's one of the great pleasures in life that we have males and females, right? But a lot of times company and company management, company leaders don't understand that. That's their part. They need to do a better job of that. And I would see that sometimes in Schlumberger, you know, I also was in an HR role over North and South America. And, you know, sometimes we'd have some superstar women and they really were superstars, but because their manager didn't communicate in that to them in a different style, we often had some, let's just call it train wrecks, right? And then Guys like me would have to go try and fix some of those things. Sometimes we could, sometimes we couldn't. Now, switching on the other side to the individual themselves, you have to develop yourself, okay? We all have some native IQ, right? And hopefully we hone our skills to enhance that as much as we can. At least as important to that, and I would put it in terms of everybody, but in particular because we're talking about women here, make sure you develop your EQ. And I've told both of you, I'm passionate, but I'm not emotional. And passion for me, even though I know it's an emotion, passion for me brings clarity and energy. Emotion brings cloudiness and sucks the energy out of you. A lot of times when we, as leaders and companies, if we're deciding whether or not we're going to put you in the next level job or keep moving you up, we have to know how you're going to react because tough things happen all the time in business and life. But we want to know how you're going to react to that. And especially if we're running a public company, we're not going to have any train wrecks, right? We're not going to have any media events. We're not going to have any of that. So I have to know what your situational leadership style is. What happens to you when you're under stress? And you probably already know in your amount of time out working that sometimes we have really kind of terrible bosses, don't we? They don't communicate. They may yell at us. They may do all those silly things, right? That's not going to get it done, whether it's male or female, right? The days of yelling, right? That's Bobby Knight, Indiana basketball team, right? It needs to go. Companies need to communicate and understand what they're doing, that there is a difference in the communication style. Females need to develop your EQ, always work on your skills, i.e. your IQ and stuff like that, and really know yourself. We've, in particular, one of the two of you talked to me about an experience you had. See how I left the name out, Massiel? 
But you know where you show up in an office on the wrong day, wrong time to talk to a supervisor and the reaction happens is no surprise, right? So we have to know how to manage our boss. We have to know how to manage ourselves. That's everybody. But people just don't quite understand the importance of EQ. Once again, to learn that, go watch somebody that's extremely good at it. Watch how, whether they're a salesperson, whether they're a business line manager, watch how they react in situations that might be very difficult. They might be sitting across the desk from somebody that's very difficult. Watch how they conduct themselves and just say, wow, I'm going to learn how to do that. Very important. Very important. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And the first person that comes to mind for me is definitely Stephanie Cox is... We just want to be like 1% her just attitude and how she carries herself in difficult conversations, good conversations. It's incredible. It's definitely a talent or like we wanted just a little bit of that. But like to your point is knowing what you need to work on and working on those things can help you get to the next step. But you need to be self-aware and understand that there are things that you need. Absolutely. We're looking for calm leaders. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not passionate. Once again, I talk about that passion. We want passionate leaders. But in difficult situations, we want them to be calm. We don't want them yelling at you and everything like that, right? You know, sometimes you just got to go, whatever your method is for reducing stress, go do that before you have that meeting with somebody. Don't be upset that, oh my gosh, I think I should have got that position. I think I should get paid more. I think this, that, or another. Go relax. Go think about it. Go think about what you're going to say. Remember what your person that you idolize that has great EQ, how that person would deal with that situation. Mm, agree. So Gary, you've successfully climbed the corporate ladder at SLB. Then you became the CEO of a publicly traded company, CarboCeramics, for 14 years, which is, I can't even wrap my head around 14 years of being a CEO. <laughs> wow. I'm still a young person. What would you say differentiates a successful leader running a great business, right? Because there's a lot of great leaders that can run a lot of businesses and be perfect, but it doesn't mean that they're going to be a successful CEO. And how did it go about for you to become a CEO? Was it something towards the end before you took that jump saying, I know I can do this. I know how to become a CEO. Like, How does one know that you could be a CEO? Because you could be a great leader and run a great business, but it doesn't mean you're going to be successful being a CEO. What does that look like? And what did the process look like for when you were being recruited to be a CEO? Was it a year process, two years? Is it multiple interviews? Tell us a little bit about behind of how do you become a CEO? I actually decided in 2001, I was going to be a public CEO. I wanted to be a public company CEO because I knew it'd be a bigger challenge than a private company CEO. So I wanted that challenge. I wanted that experience. I prepare myself throughout life and I've always done all my own investing. And what I found was that if I go buy one share of a company and I make myself watch it because I have some skin in the game, I watch their business models. I watch what markets do to them. Things always change. And so I watched the great leaders of the world, the great leaders of companies, and I learned so much from them. Schlumberger didn't keep me busy enough mentally. I love learning all the time. So I found that was a great way. So I watched the great companies I learned from, and they all go through hard times. There's no choice on that. Business cycles exist. But I learned from that, and that gave me confidence that I could be a public company CEO. Then I just went and found a search firm. You have to know that you and that person get along. They have to know you, both your strengths and your development areas. I decided that in 2001, then in 2004 through 2006, we went to about five, six companies. I knew it had to match me. And it was kind of funny because some said, well, you're going to take the number two position. And then one year from now, I said, no, I'm not 
take the number two position, right? That's not going to happen. I don't need that. I think I can learn any business relatively quickly. So then finally it happened and I went to a company that I knew that I loved the business. I loved the culture, which is very important. And I thought my skill set or experience could probably help it. Moving on to the other part of your question there, when we're running businesses as a vice president or some level, whatever the various names may be, we spend a lot of time managing the business. And whether it be budgets, whether it be people, whether it be whatever, that creates order. Mm-hmm. When we're a CEO of a company, we also will create change. So we have to develop a vision and we have to look out two, three, four, five years or whatever we can look out. We have to craft that vision in our mind. We have to figure out how to communicate that vision and get buy-in. And then you know, sometimes have to build the roadmap to get there. I think that's the difference. And as a CEO, you know, I spent 50% of my time watching people, trying to push the buttons to motivate them, watching their performance. You always need to know their business, of course, too. But there's a difference. And in particular, you know, I think I've sent you guys the slides on the difference between management and leadership. And there really is a difference. And sometimes people, when they're in management positions, they're so busy with the day-to-day. As a CEO, even though you're going to be busy and it's 724, you better figure out how to take some time and talk with yourself about how things are going. Analyze yourself, be critical of yourself, listen to others. There's that old saying, right? You can't learn anything while you're talking. Mm-hmm. Okay, It's kind of an important statement. I think that's kind of the difference. You have a shift in your time. It's an all-consuming job, of course, right? Mm-hmm. We've never had anybody explain it that way. And I really like the way that you broke it down as the CEO, like you are the one that's inflicting change. You are the one that has to think about where the company is going to go and nobody's going to do that for you. So I think that was really important that you shared that. And that really brings us to one of our last questions, which is around, you like to develop talent. You're very good at finding talent. You're good at mentoring and finding out where their strengths and weaknesses are. What have you seen as a common trait among those that you have mentored an area of weakness? And then what have you helped develop as far as the strengths that one might need to take on a leadership position? The price of admission is a positive attitude and a willingness to learn. That's the price of admission. And I'm going to go back to something else too. 10 years ago or something like that, they asked me to do the commencement address in my university. And I spent a lot of time because I think I'd worked by I don't know, 25 years or something like that at that time. So I did a look back on my life and everything. And I wanted to write something, you know, that's concise, that you're going to tell the kids and stuff like that. And I wanted it to be different. And I thought about it. And I, it's like, I got to meet a couple of U.S. presidents. I got to meet military leaders. I got to meet Olympic champions, professional world champions. And all of them had one common trait. And that was a can-do attitude. So. When you watch people, now sometimes we have to supply the skill set and the learning to where you can't just have a can-do attitude and run into the fire, right? (laughs) You have to have the skill sets. But if you don't have a positive attitude and willing to learn, yeah, I'm probably not going to spend as much time. What excites the hell out of me and always has during my career is finding those people, finding that button to push on them and watching them be successful. And we've had a couple of people on this program very good people, right? And they work for me at earlier years, stuff like that. And it makes me so proud, you know, that they're CEOs now. And even now, there's some of the people that I was around earlier, you know, you still mentor. And that's a really good feeling to be able to find the talent, develop it, make others develop it, and just find that button that just allows them to go crazy good in life. 
you know, I think you two are going to be an example of that it's an interesting background on both of you, but you're both positive people and everything, and you're making things happen. So I think that's probably the most thing. And once again, don't ever feel sorry for yourself. If somebody feels sorry for themselves, somebody feels entitled, yeah, good luck. You know, go ahead and have a half glass empty outlook on life. But sometimes even those people, maybe they've had that tough go, you know, like I had as a child, and maybe we have to help them over that chasm. And we can do that, right? Mm-hmm. So it takes a while. We don't dismiss people in the first 30 minutes. Never do that. Mm-hmm. Try and understand people and understand that there's a different communication style with males and females. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I don't, did that answer everything kind of? It did. Yes. Carrie, thank you so much, first of all, for being a big mentor. I think what's really amazing is you've had a long and very successful career, but you decide to give back not only with the university that you attended and being very involved in it, but mentoring two random girls that you have never met in person. (laughs) It goes a long way. And to your point is, I think, and even for Jamie and myself, you know, as we're going up in our careers and we're mentoring other women, it's such a good feeling, like you mentioned, that you help someone and then you just see them flourish. And then one day even like get higher than you and achieve things that maybe you haven't. And that is so rewarding. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Just everything that you've shared. Such a valuable episode with tons of little golden nuggets. And more important is just the success that you've had regardless of where you came from. So I'm really happy that we touched upon it at the beginning because I think sometimes we see profiles like yourself now doing really well in life, CEO, startup, thinking they're living the dream, but we forget that it took a lot for you to get to where you are and a lot of challenges that nobody sees. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for being an amazing leader in this space. Yeah, I think I would close with, there's kind of four points I said kind of for life, right? One is be positive. That'll dictate your success and your happiness in life more than anything. The second one is find something you love to do and keep learning throughout life. The third one is save 10% of everything you make and invest it. Because oftentimes when we're younger, the stress of not having money or we start a family or whatever gets to you. And it's a simple math formula. You know, if we save 10% of everything we make and invest it, everybody's a millionaire. It's a simple math formula. That'll happen in 20 years at today's salary or quicker. And so when you take away the financial stress, which is one of the most stressful things for young people, and you just put that money away, invest it. If you don't want to do it, have somebody do it for you. That takes away one of life's challenges. And then the fourth thing I would say, keep your friends and family close because success or failures, you want to be able to share them with somebody. Mm-hmm. And don't be an island. You know, it's so funny. I know I've told you both, but when we're born, it's 100% about us, right? Because we can't do a darn thing. As we move through high school and college, we better start to be thinking about others. By the time you get to be my age, it better be about others and you know, not that much about you. Once again, there's an incredible joy of helping others be successful and happy in life. I love that you shared that, especially in our industry. It's very needed on the financial advice and on the stresses of life, especially since a lot of our people that listen are in the field and they're gone from their families a lot. So it's really helpful for you to share that. And I just want to say thank you for coming on. And for all those listening, please like, subscribe, leave us a message. You can always email us at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing what y'all think about this podcast. Thanks so much, Gary. Thank you, guys. 